Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and you can follow us on Twitter, at PolicyCast, or find us on your channel of choice by visiting hkspolicycast.org. Now, the midterms have come and gone, and while we're still waiting on the results of a runoff election in Louisiana to find out the exact composition of the U.S. Senate, it's clear that the Republican Party will have control of the chamber for the next two years. To help us sort out what this all means, we're joined by Fall 2014 Institute of Politics fellow Kristen Soltis Anderson, who's co-founder of the GOP opinion research and data analysis firm, Echelon Insights. Kristen, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So, uh, other than what's obviously been a rejection of the Obama administration. What is, what has the electorate said through through these elections? What the electorate has said is that they're frustrated and they're looking for someone who can fix the big problems that are facing the country, which puts a really big burden on Republicans now that they've been handed control of the U.S. Senate uh, to try as best as they can to get legislation through that they can send to the president's desk. Uh, what this election also has shown is that while Republicans over the long term do have a challenge in terms of the demographics of the country and the fact that Republicans have struggled to win voters who are Latino, voters who are African-American, voters who are young. Um, those are voters that in midterm elections tend not to turn out in as great a numbers, mm -hmm. which has meant that Democrats, by losing, for instance, male voters by 16 points, by losing white voters by 20 points, they, on the other hand, are, are having a harder time winning in these midterm elections. So you're seeing this kind right. of ping pong back and forth where every election feels like a wave election. Mm -hmm. And it's because of our, our vote voting has been polarized by sort of race and generation. Right. And who votes in one type of election is not the same as who votes in another type of election. So right. what I think Republicans need to take going forward is the 2016 presidential election is a whole different ballgame whole new set of voters may be turning out. Mm -hmm. There's still a question of whether or not the Obama coalition will turn out when Obama is not himself on the ballot. Mm -hmm. Can someone like a Hillary Clinton put together that Obama coalition again? Right. Um, but Republicans should, you know, they should celebrate. They should enjoy the last week or so, but then uh, get ready for a much more difficult, much more uphill battle in 2016. Mm. So in 2014, the uh, youth vote get out was about 13 percent of mm -hmm. the electorate. Uh, in 2012, it was 19 percent. And that's mirrored what happened in 2010 and 2008 as well. Just like you said, there's this back and forth. Is that evidence that the youth vote is kind of the, the key to all of this and the youth vote is necessarily a democratic uh, block that can shift the elections, or, or are there other factors that we're not considering? Uh, so young voters are absolutely important, and I think they don't get enough uh, attention, particularly from the right, because people go, oh, well, young people never vote, and they're always more democratic. Mm. And that's not the case. Um, they were decisive in the 2012 and 2008 presidential elections. In certain races, even this election cycle, take, for instance, the gubernatorial race in Florida, where you had Rick Scott versus Charlie Crist. Um, Rick Scott didn't win young voters but he did uh, significantly better than he did four years ago. And that difference uh, accounts for his ability to sort of to, uh, overtake Charlie Crist in the end and win re-election. So, mm -hmm. you know, young voters on the whole underperform their potential. They could be such a larger chunk of the, of the electorate. Sure. Um, but they still, you know, in these presidential years in particular, almost one out of every five voters, that's an awful lot of voters. Mm -hmm. Because young people have less of a habit of voting, 
uh, their political views are not as ingrained. They're more open to changing their mind. But once you voted for a particular party a few times in a row, you're likely to continue voting for that party forever. Think about it like if you are somebody who drinks Coca-Cola versus Pepsi. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you develop a loyalty to something and then that's kind of what you stick with. Uh, and that's that's a bit a bit, a bit how politics uh, and, and affiliation with political parties works, um, as silly as that sounds. So the reason why it's important to win young voters isn't just because they represent, you know, a relatively significant portion of the electorate. But it's because you want to win them when they're young so that as they get older, they continue to have positive feelings toward your party. They're still open to voting for your candidates. And mm -hmm. that's why Republicans need to continue to focus on trying to sort of repair the damage with young people. See, that's interesting to me because it seems like uh, my generation was the Obama generation. You know, um, it was certainly progressive in in, in general. Um, but recent polling has shown that that's not necessarily for sure. The, um, you know, the youth uh, disenchantment with the Obama administration is fairly high. Um, is that because of specific Obama uh, administration policies, or is there something else going on? The consistent theme that I hear whenever I do focus groups around the country talking to young voters is, I just wish someone understood what I was going through. So back in 2008, it seemed like President Obama might be the first person to occupy the White House who understood what our generation was going through. But unfortunately, that hasn't really shown up in policy. We haven't seen anything done to really curb the cost of, of attending college. Young people are still facing an incredibly difficult economy. They're not buying homes. They're not starting families. They're sort of deferring a lot of things that the previous generation um, chose to do. So there's a sense that young people are going to have it worse off than their parents' or grandparents' generations. And in this last election, about 48% of voters told exit pollsters that they thought that the next generation would be worse off, uh, and those voters broke overwhelmingly for the GOP. Hmm. So because young people are still really, they've, they've not come out of the recession, essentially. Mm -hmm. They're still feeling a really tough economy. They're looking for anyone who can propose solutions, and they're right. open now to hearing what Republicans have to say on these questions. It seems to me that the Democrats are the ones that you're usually talking about, things like stagnant middle, middle income uh, wages, uh, things like college, the affordability of college. How can the Republicans shift their policy recommendations to, you know, address those voters? Well, so Democrats may say that they talk about those things, but sometimes their policy prescriptions would lead to the opposite effect. So you talk, for instance, about wage stagnation. Mm -hmm. So they've discussed raising the federal minimum wage, which would affect, you know, a large number of people, but not necessarily those middle class voters that you're talking about who have seen their wages stagnate, the ones who have broken away from the Democratic Party. Um, when it comes to the cost of college, one of the reasons why college has become so expensive is in part because federal uh, subsidies of higher education have enabled, you know, the cost of college can go up and consumers aren't really price sensitive to it. They can just borrow more and more and more money from the government mm -hmm. that they then have to pay back later. So actually, the, the, the areas where things are getting more expensive, where the middle class is really feeling the pinch, are things where we don't actually have a, a well-functioning market at all. So I think Republicans have an opportunity to be the party of reform, to have a real conversation about what is driving these problems and what a sort of limited government or you know market-based um, reform-minded approach might 
do to lead to better outcomes for people. It seems like one of the bright spots for you know this particular voting block is uh, is Rand Paul and this kind of more libertarian attitude about um, not just foreign policy, but here at home with things like the NSA and, and personal privacy, those kinds of things. Um, do you think that's maybe the future of the party in terms of where they're going to go next? I think the libertarian strain is rather interesting because it's certainly the case that young people you know, don't really want the government in their business, whether it's checking their email or telling them how they should live their lives. Uh, So I think that presents a real opportunity. The challenge, however, is to what extent does that view in terms of, you know, our role in the world and America's, you know, ability to project strength and to ensure that that the, the world is not on fire. Uh, to what extent does sort of a Rand Paul foreign policy view um, align with, with a strong America in the 21st century? And so right now you're seeing in both parties, it's really hard to say what a democratic foreign policy or what a Republican foreign policy looks like. Mm. From my perspective, a Rand Paul candidacy would be a very interesting exercise in watching the GOP hash out these different views about what does it mean for America to be strong and what policies do we need, uh, what policies are appropriate. So uh, I think a Rand Paul candidacy not only would be important because he you know, has this libertarian point of view. He talks about issues like reforming our criminal justice system to make sure that, you know, we don't have as many nonviolent offenders um, who are going to jail. And he's he's tackled a whole variety of things that I'm just really interested to see Republicans um, have have a robust debate about. One thing that the GOP has, at least for the last few years, uh, fallen behind is in is kind of modernizing their campaigns and using the you know newest technology to target voters to um, you know get vote get the vote out things that Democrats have seemed to perfect it. Why is it that the GOP hasn't been able to uh, harness those things? So the great news is they've they've really caught up, as you mm-hmm. saw um, in this most recent election. So right. what the difference had been in the past is that Democrats, particularly the Obama campaign, had really had this discipline of data-driven decision-making. Everything to the subject line of the campaign emails they would send out Mm -hmm. was rigorously tested. And they would actually, for fun, have people inside the campaign guess which email subject headline would get the greatest response. And they would find people's gut instinct was usually wrong. The one that won was always one that nobody picked. And so that, you know, they had this real discipline of saying, we're not going to go off our gut. We're going to go with what the data tells us. Republicans still, by and large, were running gut-based campaigns. Ah, my gut tells me we need to reach these voters. My gut Mm -hmm tells me this is going to be the best ad. Republicans are beginning to catch up, particularly in the area of data and voter targeting. So the RNC has, over the last two years, built an incredible capacity for merging, you know, information about people's voting behavior with information about their consumer habits. You know, they can know whether you have a knitting habit. They can know whether you like technology. They can know whether you drive a hybrid car. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of that can inform them about whether or not you're someone who's likely to vote. Are you likely to vote Republican? Are you likely to be persuadable? These are all really important things, and it allowed Republicans in this last election to know exactly who the voters were that they needed to turn out and to do so effectively. Mm-hmm. So Republicans, I feel, have, have really caught up to where Democrats are in terms of that targeting. Mm-hmm. The next frontier, then, is can Republicans have a discipline of choosing their message in a sort of data-driven way instead mm-hmm. of just sort of guessing uh, this is what some strategy guru tells me I should be doing, right. um, you know, really being rigorous about knowing, OK, what does a voter think about when I put this ad on TV or when I send this piece of campaign mail mm-hmm. to their house? What's the real impact? Uh, that's the next frontier for Republican campaigns. And I'm excited to see 
um, the ways in which uh, new technology gets implemented in the coming years. How do you think the dynamic between messaging and actual policy choices works? I mean, do you feel like uh, Republicans have the right policy prescriptions for the current demographics of the country and going forward? Or is it simply a messaging problem? So this was this was a great debate that sort of popped up after 2012. And the analogy that is constantly used is one about Domino's Pizza, where Domino's Pizza, you know, the studies showed that people didn't like the way the pizza tasted. And so Domino's came out with an ad campaign said, we're sorry, we're remaking our pizza. Now, the the debate then was, well, do we need to remake the pizza or do we need to just remake the box? Do we need to remake the message? Like, is the pizza fine, but we just need to market it better? Right. Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I certainly think that the Republican Party had serious marketing challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, It has begun to overcome them slightly. For instance, in this last election, you did not have candidates who were out there saying sort of really inflammatory things and giving the party a bad name like you saw two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, I think it's important that we have substance to back up our message. And you saw things like the, um, the YG Network's book, Room to Grow, that they put out in the spring. They got a bunch of center-right policy analysts together and put together a sort of menu of different policies on everything from healthcare to education to energy. What could we do as a center-right party to help the middle class? Mm-hmm. So they were really trying to put ideas behind you know, the messaging, making sure that we're not just selling something that's empty, we're, we're selling real substance. Uh, and I think that's the big challenge to our 2016 candidates. Mm-hmm. You can't just have the, the cute snappy slogan. You can't just have all the, the data wonks and their computers targeting the right voters. Although you, you have, do know, you do need those you things. You do need those things. <laughs> uh, but you, you need to have more than that. You need right. to have real answers to the questions that voters are asking. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Republicans are well positioned to be that sort of, we're going to turn the page and offer fresh ideas party in 2016. People on all side, on both sides of the spectrum will agree that dysfunction is likely the biggest problem with our current, uh, our current government. Now, of course, the Republicans are taking the Senate. Um, they're going to be in opposition to President Obama. Um, after George Bush lost the uh, Senate and the House in 2006, they seem to have a relatively productive working relationship together. Uh, do you think that's something that can happen between this new Congress and uh, pr- the president? I would hope so. And they've certainly made sort of public gestures to that effect. But you'll have big questions like, um, what happens on immigration reform? Does Congress put something forward? Does the president take executive action? If one happens before the other, how does mm. that affect uh, the whole dynamic? So I- I'm not optimistic that it will look quite as productive as the last two years of President Bush's presidency did. Um, the other thing to keep in mind as well is that Democrats still have the ability to filibuster anything in the Senate. Mm. Republicans don't have that filibuster-proof majority. So right. you're going to see this sort of odd flip-flopping where all of the people who two weeks ago thought that the filibuster was this horrible thing and an affront to democracy are now in a position where they will be using that tool to gum up the works of government and they'll suddenly say oh well, it's all about minor- the, the rights of the minority in the senate mm-hmm. you know we're about to watch the positions on the filibuster flip so yep. i'm i'm not actually confident that we will see tons and tons and tons of great center-right legislation making it up to the white house and that's in part because i think Mitch McConnell will still have to get some Democrats on board mm. um, and avoid filibusters in order to get things all the way out of Congress. The National Review uh, made a, some headlines by suggesting that instead of trying to work with the president over the next two years, Republicans should essentially 
gum up the works um, in, uh, and in doing so leave them in a better position to win in 2016. Do you think that's a good, uh, good strategy? Uh, I think Republicans need to be in the practice of putting forward legislation to try to solve problems. Now, that they may not be solutions that the president would ever in a million years sign because he's just not ideologically in the same place. Um, but they still need to be doing something. And frankly, I mean, I, I really think that the bigger impediment here is going to be trying to get stuff through that Senate uh, because, you know, it needs to get through there before it even has a chance of showing up on the president's desk and mm. for that sort of round of negotiation to begin. Sure. So what's your outlook for the next couple of years? What are we likely to see? Uh, so I think what we're likely to see is we, we will see some kind of resolution to what do we do about immigration, whether it comes um, through some kind of compromise in the next two years, about which I'm not optimistic, whether it comes through executive action or whether it comes from the next president, Republican or Democratic, because the system is so broken and in, so, in such need of repair. And, you know, we need to do something about the, the millions and millions of Americans who are here. Um, so I think we will certainly see something happen on immigration. Mm -hmm. I think Republicans uh, hopefully have learned the lesson from health care that, you know, after being in control for so long and not really fixing the health care system, they left this void that when they were out of power, it was going to get fixed, but not in the way that they wanted it to. Mm -hmm. um, and that that should be a lesson to them on something like immigration, on something like student loans, on, you know, economic challenges. If we're not putting forward solutions, then if we are suddenly, you know, back out of power again in 2016, leaves a void for the other side to set the rules of the game. So, right. Well, Kristen Soltis Anderson, thank you so much for Thanks being for on PolicyCast today. You've been listening to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast, produced by Matt Cadwallader and Molly Lanzarota. Follow us on Twitter at PolicyCast. <laughs>